of our Solutions family, partners, and friends, what is going on? I hope everyone is keeping it real as we enter the last inch of this rather crazy foot of year that we call 2022. Now this got me thinking, why is a foot 12 inches? Why not 10 inches? Probably would have made life a lot easier as a young child. And as a father of four brilliant young children, I'm glad that you asked. In ancient times, the foot was 11 and 142s of an inch. Today, 12 inches, which allegedly is the length of the average man's foot. Now I'm not here to debate average, but this still doesn't explain why there's 12 inches in a foot. Therefore, we need to look back to Egyptian times where they declared that there are 12 hours on a clock and 12 months in a year. Now there's numerous speculation, but one of the schools of thought is that on your fingers, you have three joints. And if you count those joints using your thumbs, we end up having 12 joints on each hand. Boom. I know this information is truly fascinating. Anyway, this is Andy Erickson, your host of the most talked about chemical podcast, Smart Acids, where you let borons be borons. And I'm here with the mistletoe to my holiday season, the heartbreaker, Chris Ernst. Heartbreaker, man, how are you holding up these days? I'm doing great, Andy. Thanks for asking. Hey, anything magical you hope that jolly fat man in red leaves underneath your Christmas tree this year? That's a great question, Andy. I'm not prepared to answer it. However, I'm I'm a golf aficionado, so I would say my list is comprised of any accessory you can think of for golf, whether that would be golf balls, new shoes, new apparel. Nice, nice. Hey, are you looking forward to cozying up into the sofa with a crackling fire, a hot buttered rum, and settle into love actually with the missus? Arguably one of the top 10 greatest holiday movies. Well, yes is the direct answer to that question. That sounds fantastic. Uh, my top two holiday movies, not that you asked, have to be Die Hard. It is a Christmas movie and Love Actually. They're brilliant. And you are correct. I did not ask you that. But anyway, giddy up. We have an absolute fire of an episode for SA Groupies today. We are bringing in legitimately two legends in the industry. The Magic Man, Dan Matheny, and Brian Jerzak, who is kind of known as The Big Deal. And they plan to drop some serious knowledge on what the word is on the street as we finish up 2022 and head into 2023. So let's get at it. Magic Man, take a little runway and let the listeners know a little bit about your storied past. Yeah, so uh, thank you, Andy. Uh, 30 years plus now in the business, hard to believe I'm saying that. But that's true. Uh, for Univar Solutions, uh, I lead the product management area for solvents. Very glad to be here. Thank you. Whew. 30 years. All right, Brian, the big deal, Jerzak, tell the listeners how everything in industry somehow leads back to Monsanto. Well, you know, man, Monsanto was an agricultural company. So, yeah, it goes back to agriculture. So, Andy, I've been in the industry, uh, gosh, about as long as Dan, I hate to say that, but uh, that does not make us old, it just makes us senior. So, I lead product marketing management for Univar Solutions. Um, and my history does take me back to Monsanto, and yes, it is 30 plus years of, of history, which uh, goes by fast. All right, Brian, the market is dynamic, and you guys are in the thick of it. We just came out of NACD, the National Association of Chemical Distributors. Give us the load on what's going on. Yes. Yeah, so this market is, it was highly efficient uh, back when we had the trouble with uh, with the Texas freeze uh, in terms of mo movement to see a flow of information. And we saw this market pivot and it really ties back to the economy, what's going on in Europe. And we, we've seen, you know, a lot of destocking on, on uh, really the intermediate value chain inventories, i.e. our customer base, uh, both up, downstream and upstream from us. 
as people are managing for cash. So the market is very interesting. Uh, people are managing for cash. Uh, we are seeing a big, big time uh, 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 decline in freight rates. Uh, we're seeing the gravity of the European situation start to take hold. Uh, these are things that we saw coming six months ago, uh, but I think the absolute gravity of the situation around the Ukraine being a breadbasket for for the world, being a, a primary supplier of things like phosphates, uh, potassium, iron, et cetera, it's, uh, it's hitting the global markets, let alone the, uh, the drawdown in the Chinese uh, economy, or at least not the, the restart of it yet. So it's an it's a dynamic market, Andy. All right, Dan. Let's let's move on to some specifics. Can you give us the situation on crude oil and direct derivatives, if you would? Yeah. So quite a lot going on as it relates to to crude and, and ethylene and propylene. Um, you know, with crude oil, as always, the driver is speculation, and you really have a pretty large range uh, of camps and and what people think crude pricing will do. Uh, a lot of people here point to uh, the low reserves. As you know, we've been pulling from the reserves given the situation on energy. Uh, but at the offset to that has been uh, low demand in China uh, as they continue with their COVID policy uh, that leads to just continue with lockdowns. And then we all know what the situation is in Europe. So I think you see the crude price still bounce around in that 75 to $90, maybe up to $100 range. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, there's going to have to be something on the demand side that has to change, I think, to really see the forecast go 120 and up. On the propylene and ethylene uh, side of things, uh, especially on propylene, uh, it's been falling. Uh, demand has really softened. Uh, the driver for propylene is always on the plastic side of the equation. That's where most of the propylene goes. And the demand has just not been there. And so you've got the classic more supply than demand happening. What that's led to, uh, what Brian just said about the market uh, and what I've just said about more supply than demand, you've now seen a pretty large range of price decreases across the solvent portfolio as a result of this. So, so Dan, just to, to build on that, just going back to oil, our U.S. strategic reserves are back to 1982, 1980 type levels. At some point, they're going to have to be replenished. They're drawing them down, keeping the price of oil down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when uh, that that drawdown stops and the production has to meet the demand, uh, and it's all tied to China. So oil can go up to the 100, 120, maybe more, uh, or it could stay at 80, depending on uh, what demand does. All right, boys, crystal ball time. Going forward, what's the outlook? So... Um, Let's start with what we've heard from the market, the suppliers, the customers. Listen, um, there's there's concern around Q4 demand. Uh, We know the consumer demand is not, it's been relatively, or it has been relatively resilient. uh, So it doesn't match the type of decline that we're seeing in a drawdown of inventories. Uh, If we look at 23, most people are looking at zero to 3% type volume growth. Um, I only heard one one supplier say they're expecting a negative uh, growth outlook for on a volume basis for 2023. So we we expect some type of bounce back to replenish the intermediate value chain inventories, uh, whether it happens in Q1 or Q2. We would expect something to happen to get back to uh, normal safety stock levels to meet the the ultimate demand of the consumer. Dan, any additional thoughts? I would just add to the uh, comment on destocking. I mean, that's certainly what everyone hopes for 
and that we'll see that bounce back in January and it's not, you know, real demand destruction. Uh, so we'll see. That's uh, I think that was another main theme from NACD that everyone was talking about. All right. Thank you, guys. I'm going to ask the elephant in the room question. What about the dreaded R word? One, we'll start in Europe. Uh, there, There is an expectation Europe's going to be, if it not already, in a significant recession. Uh, Andy and I actually heard uh, someone say the D word uh, for Europe, but that, that is a uh, that that is extreme. Uh, if we come back over to North America with all the reindustrialization happening with with really the, the monetary policy that's been put in place, we expect a mild recession in the U.S., if not already in it. Uh, so a mild recession would not really being uh, extreme uh, uh, labor loss uh, in terms of uh, layoffs. It would mostly mean uh, probably uh, some supply uh, de- or demand destruction, but not expected to last that long. Now, kind of depends on the weather, Chris. If if the weather in Europe gets really cold, uh, and they, that it's they're, if they run out of gas, uh, they have enough gas to last a winter. Um, or if the if the winter gets cold here, gas prices could show natural gas prices could shoot shoot up, uh, resulting in some um, uh, challenge on spending for for the consumer. So the forecast is mild recession for North America, severe or, or uh, significant recession in Europe. Dan. Yeah, I think the other comment, uh, you know, on this particular topic is uh, many are thinking the single largest impact uh, that could happen for our industry globally is China uh, and China changing their policy uh, on zero tolerance with COVID and the continuous lockdowns. And if that does change, uh, that'll really change the demand picture globally, uh, which obviously would would help what we're talking about. Agreed. The, the other thing, Dan, I'll add in there is there are many comments around the European chemical industry too big to fail. So we have to keep that in mind with government subsidization, et cetera. So it's a, a lot to learn over Q1 and Q2 and 23. All right, boys, enough of the doom and gloom scenario. Any industries where there's an upside projected? Yeah, it, it's, we, we see, it, we'll get back to North America. North America uh, with the infrastructure bill, with the electronics bill. Uh, so we see electronics being a growth industry. At some point, agriculture has to catch up. Uh, we are behind. We've had two years where there's been substandard crops. So uh, we'd, we'd expect to see uh, those yields, you know, given the weather's going to cooperate with that. Um, we see some industrial to support, some industrial markets that will uh, support uh, those markets. And then there's energy. Um, energy, at least for North America, is going to be a, a tailwind uh, throughout 2023. All right, guys, let's pivot just a touch here. Over the last couple of years, it's certainly been a unique situation in a case study, quite frankly, around supply chain, its importance, and its overall fragility. What do you guys see going forward? We see rates dropping. Uh, we see container ship, uh, you know, uh, for domestic shipping. We see container ship rates dropping. But we also see container uh, container lines, uh, shipping lines, start to curtail some some capacity. Some of the capacity that was put in during the, the, the stranglehold, during the, the strain of the supply chain over over the pandemic and post-pandemic uh, is starting to get pulled out. So they they will rationalize as they can to get the rates to for so they can 
get reinvestment economics. Outside of that, you know, that that's where we fit into the value chain. We we have our own truck fleet, we which has been golden over the past two years. Uh, it's helped our customers, helped our suppliers, uh, and, and we frankly helped the economy with that. Dan, anything to add? No, I would just say that uh, over the past few years, uh, over the many years I've been in the business, I've seen more business transfer from supplier direct to uh, distribution to us because of the supply chain difficulties. Uh, if you're totally reliant upon carriers, uh, rail service, uh, us having just what you called out, Brian, our our own private fleet uh, is a huge advantage for us. Uh, and although that is turned somewhat, uh, the supply chain overall has improved in terms of carriers, the rail has not. And I think there'll be continual opportunities for us as it relates to this in 23. Right, guys, really appreciate it. Normally to finish up, we ask our guests one question focused on what they'd like the audience to take away from the discussion. But Brian, if you don't mind, I'd like to push this last question to you and, and change it slightly here, pivot slightly. Amidst all the rapid changes and dynamics in our industry, What's your crystal ball? Where are we headed? It's the future of distribution. Um, you know, when we think about how we approach market, industry focus, how we support that through our digitization efforts, all while being sustainable in our ESG efforts, supported by marketing, technical acumen, and reliability. We kind of hit on all of that, but it, it's around bringing specialization and specialty knowledge in chemicals, ingredients, additives, blends, supply chain, and really safely moving and providing uh, support to the markets that we uh, serve that help us uh, live a better life. Before you close out, Heartbreaker, if you get some free time this weekend, maybe you ought to check out the white paper. I found it on universesolutions.com and it was fantastic. Awesome, guys. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining and providing your insight and your views, what you heard at NACD, what you see and feel in the market beyond that. So stay cool, stay safe, stay healthy, and see you next time. Smart Assets, breaking things down for the chemicals and specialty ingredients market, one born at a time. Smart Assets is part of the Univar Solutions Podcast Network.